So it's September 9th. September 9th, sudden changes have occurred. Have you felt it? Have you felt the sudden change that's occurred in the last week? Right? We went from, this, again, I'm giving you a little insight into our family. We went from total chillaxing over the summer. I mean, we were just chilling. We, play, we got addicted to Settlers of Gatan. All five, well, Ani, not as big of a fan. But the four of us got addicted to Settlers of Catan two, three times a day. Raise your hand if you ever played Settlers of Catan. Okay, well, we played three or four times a day. Okay? It's our Netflix right now. Um, so we played Settlers of Catan constantly. We floated in the pool a little bit. And then out of nowhere, uh, after a season of sleeping in and not really having an alarm clock in the traditional sense, at least like before, all of a sudden, bam, total insanity. Wednesday. Wednesday. Just like a freight train. Right? 520 wake up. Woo! Rock and roll. This chillaxing thing became utter chaos. And some of your parents know exactly, some of the parents here know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a tone shift in our life Wednesday morning. Well, here we are in the book of Romans. Now, if you remember last week, if you remember last week, the last five chapters of that book, it was kind of a Debbie Downer. Uh, again, hopeful, but nonetheless some pretty uh, graphic material, a uh, little criminal mind stuff going on uh, last week in, in Romans, or yeah, in, in Judges. And now here we are back in Romans. Somebody feel the relief of that? Someone feel the change of tone in that? Does anybody remember Romans 8? Right, right. All things work together for the good. Woo! Does anybody remember that after 13 weeks in Judges? Seems like eons ago, right? Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Yes! Such victory, such joy, resounding, like, woo! Praise God. We are moving on from that in, back into uh, Romans from Judges. And that's what we see Romans 8 end with, this climactic tone, real tone of victory, right? Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? And so we end that with such a high note and have so much reason to praise God and to run from sin and Rest in his arms and know that all those who are apart or are in Christ are saved and no one can take that from them. And then we come to Romans 9. And there's a sudden change. Again, a sudden change that takes place in the tone. Paul goes from this victory and this assurance, and now he's sad. He's hurting. There's anguish in his heart and in his soul. And the question is why? Why is Paul suddenly sad? What would cause such a shift in the tone and in the atmosphere of what's taking place in Romans? Let's see. Why Paul is broken in chapter 9. Turn there. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. We will be here in Romans 9 through 11 through Thanksgiving weekend. So just as a heads up, 
this is where we'll be prior to our Advent series. And then in the spring, uh, probably in February, we're going to go through 12 through 16 of Romans and probably end Romans sometime in the early to mid-summer. Uh, so we will finish Romans, uh, but here we are in this section, chapters 9 through 11. Verse 1 of chapter 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And this is God's word, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Paul is truly and deeply sad for the unbelief of Israel, for their rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He is not lying. He's not just saying so. He means it. His conscience bears witness to him in the Holy Spirit that he has this very real, deep, authentic sadness and brokenness for his brothers, the Israelites, for their unbelief. He has such a deep sadness that he goes on to say something that shocks us. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off, that I were anathema, is the word. You ever hear that word, anathema? I would be cut off and accursed from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He has come face to face with the reality that John 1.11 speaks of when it says, in speaking of Christ, he came to his own people. And yet his own People did not receive him. And so he says, in this sadness and sorrow, he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Whoa. That's a strong statement. Shocks us. He's saying he would be willing to be cut off, to be judged, to be separate from Christ, if it meant in any way, shape, or form that the Israelites would be blessed in Christ. He would be cursed if they could be blessed in Christ. 
If that kind of exchange could take place, he'd be in. He would do it. Strong language. A little bit taken back by it, I would presume. He does this out of a deep sense of love that he understands it's in the gospel. Right? He understands the kind of love that God had shown him in Christ. And that the love of God in Christ meant Christ enduring the wrath of God for sinners, for Paul, so that they might enjoy the blessing of being found in Christ, in re- reconciled relationship to God. So that impulse of all take the penalty is a gospel impulse in Paul's life. So we understand that this is an expression of his deep sacrificial love for his people. He understands the nature of love. It's not just word only. It's not a feeling per se. It is in fact an action of self-giving sacrifice. And so he says, listen, based on uh, them being cut off, I'm, I'm willing to stand in the gap. I'm willing to be the one that is cursed and cut off if that means that they will enjoy the blessings of being in Christ. And some of you may identify right away with that kind of a statement. It's shocking as it is. That there may be someone in your lo- life that you love so deeply. That you care about. To that degree. That there's this desire that wells up inside of you. You, you think I, I would do anything for them. Whatever it takes. I'd be willing to do whatever it takes. To see them come to know Christ. To experience the beauty and the power of his love and enjoy all of the blessings therein. You're so broken for their lostness that you do whatever it takes to see them find Christ. Who's that person in your life? Do you identify with that emotion? I've met uh, so many people over the years. First, I was a pastor at the age of 24, and that's just mind-boggling looking back now. Being uh, responsible for that kind of leadership in the people. and But there was uh, some glimmer of hope in people of other generations that a, that a young pastor could somehow reach their children. And so oftentimes, uh, parents would come in of, uh, and, and, and share with me. You could see the sadness and the sorrow in their eyes as they would hope that a younger pastor could somehow find a way to, to speak uh, to their child who's far from God, who has no interest in Christ. And understanding the, the nature of sin and the nature of the gospel, they look at me and just with hope beyond hope that something could be done. I mean, they would be willing to come to this church and endure all this loud, awful music if it would just mean that their child would come to know faith in Jesus, come to know Christ through faith. They'd be willing to endure anything do you have someone in your life where that, that impulse is that strong? Because you know the miseries of sin. And you know the joys and the blessings in Christ. And you would just, I'll do whatever it takes. 
to see them come to faith in Christ and to enjoy that blessing and to know without a shadow of a doubt that they were saved and could hope for eternal life. Is there someone in your life where you have that degree of love that you would utter shocking words like this? That's the kind of love that Paul has for the Israelites. But even as he says that, we understand it's a, it's a loving statement, but it's also a hypothetical one. If I could, for I could wish, I'm sorry, verse 3. It's hypothetical at best because he understands that it's impossible. Paul cannot do this for the Israelites. We cannot do this for our loved ones. We might hypothetically say, I'll do anything. I'll take the penalty so that they would know Christ. But, but it's only a hypothetical statement because it's impossible for that to ever work. There's only one perfect man. There's only one sufficient sacrifice for sin. And that is Jesus Christ. He is the only substitute for sin. Paul knows this. You know this. And this is the very substitute that the Israelites have rejected. The only way to enjoy the blessings of Christ is to see Christ in all that He is and place our faith, hope, and trust in Christ. Personally, no one can do that for us. Except for Christ. And so if we reject Christ, there is no hope to enjoying the blessings of Christ. You follow me? So here Paul is, knowing the miseries of sin, he knows the joy of Christ's blessing, and he's overwhelmed with the lostness and thus overcome by sadness. So we see, as blessed as Paul is in Christ, he's still broken for those who are not. Is that you today? Enjoying the blessing of Christ? Are you deeply broken, deeply saddened by the tragedy of unbelief? Are you broken for those who do not know Jesus? You see, this, sad, this sadness for Paul was very personal. These are his brothers his kinsmen according to the flesh. I think we can identify with that. This personal sadness. I'll never forget, I think it was like 18 years ago, Doreen woke up in the middle of the night and she was overcome with sadness for someone very close to her. And she found herself praying, interceding, weeping, begging God truly, deeply, with a, with, a, with a very profound longing in her soul that this person close to her would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Siblings, spouses, children, friends, neighbors, co-workers can identify again with this personal sadness for our people. I mean, the whole basis of renovation being planted is a brokenness and a sadness 
for the lostness of the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. And for many of us who live here, that should get very personal for us. If you're from here, all the more personal. This goes back a decade when Missio Church was planted. That it, these people came to the city, planted in the city. Why? Because of the lostness of that place. Every man, woman, and child needed a repeated opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel because if they did not hear it and respond to it with faith, they would tragically be lost for eternity. Joy motivates us, but man, so does sadness. So does brokenness for place. I'll never forget driving down Erie Boulevard three years into trying to plant a church in DeWitt and just still feeling sad. Why? Not because Catalyst Church died and didn't make it, but because as far as I was concerned, there were still 10,000 people that did not know Jesus there. And there was no real abiding gospel presence in that community. And it broke me. And to be honest, when I go over there to get a haircut, uh-huh, and when I go to Trader Joe's, I'm reminded, reminded of the lostness of that place. And our prayers continue to go out there that a strong gospel-preaching church would be planted there and would be sustained there and would bring many men, women, and children to faith in Jesus Christ. We're broken for this place. It's not just about this place, this building. It's about 10,000 people that live within a mile of this location. Remember, that's why God placed us here. Because he loved these, loves these people. And he's called us and placed us here to bring the gospel to these people. Because if they don't hear the gospel and respond to the gospel in faith, they're tragically and eternally lost. And I don't know if we're all broken for that. If we all feel that. But that's what Paul is motivated by. That's why he's sad. Because his people are broken. His people are lost. And yet for some of us, the most troubling part of all of this is that we are not. Yes, mission, making disciples, evangelism can easily become something we're supposed to talk about. It can easily become a theological conversation. It's not personal, though. It's not real. There's a map in the back. That's good enough. But that map in the back represents the lives and eternities of real people. And every time we walk by that, we should have a sense of hope because of the gospel and a sense of sadness because of the gospel. We're a blessed people. But we're broken for those who are not in Christ. It saddens us. It bothers us. And yet for so many, it actually doesn't. The salvation of souls might be hypothetical, but it's not personal. It's not urgent. It doesn't affect our hearts. It doesn't affect our wallets. It doesn't affect our calendars, our conversations. We won't sacrifice our comforts, our careers, Anything to see someone come to faith in Christ. See, Paul's willing to sacrifice eternal blessing. We won't even sacrifice temporal blessings so that people will come to faith in Christ. And again, every time I get hard, I see a mirror. So please, please, I feel the pull 
of pulling into the driveway and seeing my house as a refuge for me rather than a hospital for sinners, rather than a place where people who do not know Christ can come at any time and disrupt my conveniences in my life. The fences are wonderful. The higher, the better. Because then I can avoid eternity in the lives of people. So when I speak of these things and confront these tendencies, I see a mirror. And yet I'm reminded of Paul's brokenness and sadness for people that are very real and personal to us. And their eternities are actually at stake. But there's a deeper reason for his sadness that we may not identify with. It's unique. You see, the the lostness of the Israelites is different than our lostness, if you will. There's something uh, that, that is unique about these people, historically. And, and their rejection of Christ, their lostness, creates an accentuated sadness in Paul. It's unique. It's heightened. Because they are God's chosen people. They are Israelites. All the way back to Genesis 34. Uh, 35 verse 10, I apologize. Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, was called Israel. They are the Israelites. To them, these people, belong the adoption. Exodus 4. I'm going to make these people my people. They're going to be my firstborn son. I'm going to take them. They're not my people and make them my people. I'm going to reveal myself to them in significant and unique ways. Deuteronomy 14 These people are my treasured possession out of all the peoples of the earth. That deepens and heightens and accentuates the sadness in Paul. To them belong the glory. Exodus 24 at Sinai, where God's glorious presence came and lived with the people of Israel. It was for them, unbelieving Israel, belonged the Lord's presence and glory. And the covenants. John Murray says this. No feature of Israelite history marked their uniqueness as the recipients of redemptive revelation more than the covenants. The whole basis of their relationship with the Lord was the covenant. The covenant that he had with Abraham. Through your offspring all nations would be blessed. Moses The Sinai Covenant, right? The law. David, one of your sons will sit on the throne forever. These covenants gave Israel such a distinct and unique identity. They were God's chosen people. Unique. They had received the law and the promises. The promises. And not only that, These people who have rejected Christ received the fulfillment of all of these promises in Christ. They had all the foreshadowed uh, picture, all the promises, all the prophecies, all those things that pointed forward. But when Christ came, they rejected him. From their race, according to the flesh, is Christ. 
Christ Jesus came. And yet again we're brought to the reality. That he came to his own. But his own did not receive him. All of this. This uniqueness accentuates his sadness. He's all the more broken, all the more sad because of who these people uniquely were. They'd received everything, and yet they had rejected the one who was the fulfillment of it all. As Paul says, Christ is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. If you're here today, and you're still trying to know who God is, Try to know him specifically, personally. You're not quite sure. You're still investigating. You're asking a lot of questions. You don't have certainty. Hear this. Even in the midst of Paul's sadness for the unbelief of his brothers, for the unbelief of the very covenant people, Paul is making a very clear declaration of who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the promised one. He is the one who has fulfilled Every one of those things that made Israel distinct and unique. He is the true Israel. He is the Son of God. He is the glory of God. He is the one who fulfills the covenant. And inaugurates, brings about a new covenant. Where the Spirit comes and indwells the people of God. And where forgiveness is truly given. This is Jesus Christ. He is the God over all. Jesus is not just one God among many. He is the God over all. Not just the God of the Jews, but the God who is over Jews and Gentiles. And this God is the one they reject. And this brings such sadness to Paul. And so what I want every one of us to to realize this morning is that trusting in Jesus alone is absolutely necessary for salvation and blessing. Paul knows that. His whole gospel, chapters 1 through 8, have reinforced that. Verse week in and week out, we talked about this. It is only through Christ Faith in Him, faith alone, in Christ alone, is absolutely necessary for salvation and blessing. You will never be saved. You will never know eternal life. You will never have true blessing in this life, in the next, if you have not placed your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. It is absolutely necessary. And rejecting Him a repeated rejection of him is an eternal tragedy. It is not just, well, you, you, I do my thing my way. No, to reject Christ leaves you hopeless. It leaves you optionless. It leaves you cut off and cursed from the very plans and promises of God. So please... Trust in Christ. Because to do anything else but trust in Him and to, is an eternal tragedy for you. And understand this, as you keep 
finding excuses and reasons why you won't connect with your neighbor or your coworker or your friends. Or you won't show up at service projects or you won't pray fervently for your community. You just walk past the map. You won't consider the larger implications of the lostness of America, of the Northeast, of the suburbs of Onondaga County, of this city. Just remember that that truth is very real and very personal for the world in which we live and the people that live in it. Their rejection of Christ is an eternal tragedy. It should break us like the psalmist. My eyes flow streams of tears because people do not obey your law. I pray that my indifferent, too busy, make excuses heart and life would repent. That we would all wake up in the middle of the night weeping and interceding for people close to us and anyone that's far from God. Because trusting in Christ alone is absolutely necessary for salvation and blessing. Nothing that this world, temporal, whatever it is, can offer, can offer will provide that kind of assurance, that kind of uh, uh, blessing. It is only through Christ. And that's why Paul is so broken for Israel. Because as blessed as he is, he's still broken for those who are not. It saddens him. It should sadden us. And yet, by way of introduction to the rest of this section, and I'm going to wrap up here, is that this gospel that gives him so much joy and yet still saddens him because people have rejected it. So it saddens Paul, but for others who read this gospel, it maddens them. It's offensive. Right? How could, how could there be any assurance for the church? A Jew might ask. If, if here we are, we're the ones that received all these blessings and promises, and, and now we're cut off? One could, uh, uh, one could easily reject this God is faithful, this God is just, this God is trustworthy. And for the Jew, this raises a lot of questions. Whether or not they'll embrace the gospel that Paul teaches. And so, for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be looking at a lot of these questions about the faithfulness of God. The, the word of God. Has it failed? Is this just on God's part? Is he faithful to his people? Some of you hear a message that trusting in Jesus Christ is absolutely necessary. And that if you don't, that you're sadly and tragically cut off, that might be offensive to you. That may not ring true in, in, in terms of culture's understanding of, of blessing and, and God's love. That, it may not fit into your paradigm. It may offend you. And if that's you, we'd invite you to walk with us through this. Walk with us through Romans 9-11. through 11. We're going to address some of your concerns about the nature of God and how this all fits in to His sovereign plan 
that he promised to Israel, even though Israel didn't see it and trust in it. But whatever the case may be, it's my prayer for us that as blessed as we are in Christ, we would always be broken for those who are not. What saddens Paul should sadden us. Praise God for his faithfulness and his goodness and his love and redemption in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Christ Jesus is the God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Praise be to you, O God and Father, for you made promises to save a people for your own glory. Provide your spirit, full pardon, safety, protection, provision, new birth. You fulfilled it all in Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to see that. Open our ears to hear that. Open our hearts to truly and deeply embrace it with all that we are. May we be a people that know Christ, submit to him, and are broken for people who are not. Oh God, awaken in us a deep, sacrificial, self-giving love for the people who do not know you that are close to us. And for this community, for this county, for our state and nation, and for the world. Oh God, we pray that you would save men, women, and children from the tragedy of eternal separation from you. Use us toward that end. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, all God's people said, Amen.